Hey everyone, Don here. Welcome to Friday Night Stripes. Uh, today I've got George Demetrio on with me. Uh, welcome, George. Sure. Sure. So, uh, George, uh, thank you for for joining. Um, I, I had been re- doing some reading on on different things, and and George's name kept coming up, whether it was in Referee Magazine or the Reading Study Guide. George's name kept coming up. So, George, where can you give me just a a, a quick background on how you got into officiating and 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 uh, how how long you've been doing it? Uh, sure. Um... I got started in officiating when I was a senior uh, at West Point. Uh, West Point has a a very rigid three-season intramural program, and when you're a senior or a first-classman, as they call it, uh, you can no longer uh, play a sport uh, in intramurals. Mm -hmm. You have to either be an administrator, a coach, or an official. So uh, I was assigned uh, as an official, and uh, I got to uh, referee the intramural football games, which were uh, eight-man football, and that's how I got started. Um, There were a couple of other opportunities for me to to get involved uh, after I graduated, but it was uh, very difficult being in the Army and going away for a month at a time and so forth, and you never knew what was coming up. So I really didn't uh, uh, get into uh, officiating until uh, the end of my uh, uh, Army career, which was in the early 1990s. Okay. Okay. So you, you've been you've been at it, uh, you've been at more than 20 years, then, around, around 20 years then? Well, it's been over 30 years since I've been doing it regularly, but right. my... Uh, my first season was uh, actually 1968, okay. and I uh, still have my uh, 1968 uh, NCAA rulebook, which is about uh, 10% the size of the uh, current <laughs> book. Yeah, yeah, I've, I've certainly been uh, been starting to to work through that as as I'm I'm trying to learn and and move my way into college as well. Um, move on from from. Uh, doing high school and, and moving into college as well. So um, George's name came up when I was, when I, I got the Reading study guide for the first time last year and worked through that, that, that is a great piece of work. How did that come around? Uh, well, all the credit to that goes to Rogers Redding uh, sure. in uh, 1991. Uh, he started, uh, he started the study guide for uh, NCAA rules and uh, I guess the idea wasn't totally original to Rogers. He had somebody that he knew that had uh, done some sort of similar publication, and he picked it up and uh, formed the, uh, the study guide and uh, started that in uh, in '91. And then I became acquainted with that, and then I got the idea. Uh, around 1999 that there should be a high school version of that. So I contacted uh, Rogers, who was uh, familiar with my name through Referee Magazine, and uh, we worked out a deal to where I would uh, produce a a high school book. And uh, we did that. Uh, We produced uh, separate books until around uh, 2007, when uh, Rogers was named as the secretary rules editor for the NCAA, and uh, he saw the 
having a uh, privately published book when he was responsible uh, for the NCAA rulebook as a conflict of interest. Sure. Uh, so he uh, sold me the rights uh, to his book, and I eventually uh, named the book after him and became the sole author, and I think I've been doing that doing it that way for at least uh, 10 or 12 years. And uh, Rogers is uh, still available uh, to answer questions and help me out, but it's, uh, it's uh, almost totally uh, my effort with the help of my proofreaders. Sure. Well, it's, it's, a, it's a significant piece of work and, and a really great thing to go through. Um, over the summer when it comes out before the season starts. So uh, that that is a great piece of work that I, I thoroughly enjoyed last year. So. Yeah, you had also uh, mentioned uh, uh, my work with uh, Referee Magazine, which yeah. has uh, grown through the years. And uh, the way I got involved with that is uh, also a unique story and just kind of shows you uh, – how life works sometimes. I uh, I actually became uh, introduced to uh, Referee Magazine through the Little League that I was uh, coaching in. So my initial exposure to referee was through, uh, through baseball. Mm-hmm. And then I started reading the magazine. And uh, as I started uh, working more football games, I became very interested in that. So I just decided to write an article on uh, something that wasn't explained very well uh, at that time, and that was uh, fouls simultaneous with the snap. So I I wrote the article, and uh, I sent it in to the editor, and uh, to my surprise, uh, they printed that in uh, April of uh, 91. Uh, but I was told that uh, all their writing is both NCAA and high school rules, uh, so any future articles uh, would have to cover both sets of rules. And, of course, I, at the time, I barely knew uh, NFHS rules, uh, so I bought an NCAA rulebook, and I started writing, and I wrote two more articles. And they did publish them, but I got uh, I got chewed out, uh, sort of. Uh, number one, they were uh, too long, and secondly, I didn't clear the topics with them ahead of time. Uh, so I proceeded to uh, to write a uh, fourth article, and then one day that uh, I got a letter out of the clear blue sky saying that the uh, their regular rules columnists had to resign for uh, personal reasons. Uh, and uh, would I like to be a regular columnist? And, uh, I, of course, I accepted, and uh, that's how I got started with uh, referee. And then uh, I had a, actually the, the first article I had written for him was a baseball article, and it was rejected. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, but then once I became established with foot, uh, football, the baseball editor decided to use me. So I ended up uh, writing uh, and doing proofreading for referees since uh, 1991. Wow. 
long time then. And, and I know, like, like I said, I know I've come across your articles there as well. So um, truly, truly a lot of good resources you're putting out there. Right. Um, and then perhaps the single biggest lesson out of my experience is, is the best way to learn is to try to uh, teach it and explain it to somebody else. So if uh, someone is out there and they really want want to learn the rules, they should regularly try to uh, pick topics and try to make presentations at local meetings. It really doesn't ha matter how big the uh, the audience is, but just once you get into the habit of trying to figure out something well enough that you can explain it to somebody else, uh, that's really the way to learn. And uh, being able to do that, uh, you know, doesn't mean you're smarter than anybody else. Uh, it's just that you're putting in the time and effort to really learn in uh, learn something thoroughly. Sure, sure, and that's that's what I found from doing this podcast. So uh, we're we're over sixty episodes in, and we talk about a variety of different rules topics from time to time, and. Before we do any rules topic, I usually sit down with the book and, and make sure I know it fairly well. And I usually end up figuring something out along the way as well. So um, that, that certainly seems to be the best way to, uh, to learn is to try and, and teach or at least talk about it because um, you feel you need to get in there and, and understand it more than just reading it, which is uh, a great way to learn. So um, we had talked before before uh, this recording, and you had a presentation that I believe you've done for the Colorado Football Officials Association. Is that correct? Correct. And and it's on trick plays, which is actually great because that's that's a topic we haven't talked about because it hits a lot of little different things. So I don't know if you wanted to talk through that now and and just go ahead and give us some ideas and things to think about and principles. Sure, I would be uh, glad to do that. Uh, you know, normally we think of uh, trick plays like the uh, Statute of Liberty play, which I think I've seen once. Uh, and there are other uh, trick plays but uh, that are run very infrequently, which is why they're called trick plays. Uh, but there's also... Uh, uh, a set of uh, somewhat regularly run plays that uh, you can consider trick plays because they are designed to do something that the defense doesn't expect. So uh, in my presentation, I am going to cover uh, both of those types of plays. Okay, great. Yeah, go go ahead and get, uh, start us off there. So for uh, trick plays, there are uh, a couple of uh, key principles. Uh, one is better understood than the other. But the first one is that when a team runs a, a trick play, uh, they need to uh, be perfect. They need to follow every rule to the letter and not do anything that is questionable because they are trying to trick the opponents. Sure. And when I say it has to be perfect, uh, I'm primarily talking about the, the formation. The formation uh, can't be something that is, uh, is flawed in any way, and uh, they can't do anything that is uh, uh, questionable as far as the rule is concerned. 
the uh, the second principle is the uh, verbal deception. Uh, you cannot use verbal deception uh, in a, a football game, and I've got a couple of uh, specific examples on that. Sure. Go ahead. But the main thing that uh, that's covered in uh, both uh, NFHS and NCAA rules is that you cannot make any kind of uh, announcement to indicate that uh, there is some sort of problem or disconnect and uh, it needs to be straightened out before the ball can be be snapped. So those are the two principles, uh, perfect execution and no verbal de deception. Sure. So it starts off in the pregame meeting. We usually uh, ask the coach if he has uh, any plays that uh, might confuse the officials. We don't want to ask the coach uh, if he has any trick plays because uh, he will interpret trick as being something uh, untoward or uh, uh, illegal, uh, and that would put him on the defensive. So usually a good way is just to ask if there's uh, anything unusual that he has that uh, the officials might misinterpret and and go from there. Uh, and then um, if the coach, uh, most of the time the coach will say uh, he doesn't have anything. Uh, and if he does... Um, he may explain a play, and uh, in some cases, what he explains uh, will not be legal. So uh, once you tell him that his play is illegal and he can't run it, there is an inevitable comment that you will get from the coach, and that is, well, they let us run that last week. And right. that may be true or it, it may be false. And really, in coach speak, that is a way of the coach saying, are, are you really sure you want to stop me from running this play? So you have to uh, uh, get that out of the way with the coach. And then, of course, if he tells you that, uh, gives you a play that is legal, you should remind him to make sure that it is executed properly. And uh, here's a great example of a situation that I personally ran into. It was in the fourth quarter, and it was a uh, close game, and the coach hadn't uh, presented any uh, special plays before the game. Uh, but, he, but he took a timeout, and uh, during the timeout, uh, he called me over and uh, ex explained the, the play that he was going to run. And the play was uh, it was relatively simple. Uh, he said his quarterback was uh, going to go into motion, and the ball, while the quarterback was in motion, the ball would be snapped to a halfback. And I said, "Well, there's there's nothing wrong with that. I didn't think it was especially tricky." Uh, but uh, they, they, they went to run the play, and uh, when the quarterback went into motion, he jerked back like he had taken the snap and was running to the sideline. Right. 
So I immediately called it for a false start, and uh, the coach went into a rage, saying, I told you what we were going to do, and you told me it was legal, you know. And again, so the play as designed was legal, but the execution was illegal, so we have to be on the lookout for those things as well. Correct, correct. Okay, the substitution process is a uh, main source of uh, illegal trick plays, and uh, I've, I've seen several of them. It is uh, illegal to, uh, to use a player or a place player, a substitute, or anybody else in a pretended substitution to deceive opponents at or immediately before the snap or free kick. So uh, one of the plays that I show when I do this uh, 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 presentation is uh, we start off with a, uh, a kickoff. Mm -hmm. And uh, after the, the kickoff for the first play following, the team huddled up with 10 players. And as the huddle was breaking, the 11th player came on, and a player left the huddle. Sure. So that looked like a one-for-one -one substitution. But in reality, they were adding an 11th player. And the player that pretended to leave didn't leave. He went and uh, stood just outside the sideline uh, as a wide receiver. And, uh, I mean, if you could see the video, it really looks awkward because he's standing right next to the, uh, the linesman who is on the sideline. Sure. And the linesman does not react to that player's presence. He doesn't recognize that they are running a, an illegal sleeper play. So they, they snapped the ball, and of course nobody else noticed this player on the sideline, and he runs downfield, um, and the pass is thrown to him, and at that point a uh, higher power interceded, and he, he dropped the ball, so their scam <laughs> was unsuccessful. Sure. But uh, we had to uh, counsel the officials because... They were totally oblivious to the illegality of the play. Right. In another situation, they ran the play uh, on a field goal attempt. And this play was uh, much more cleverly designed than the first play because their coach, in the coaching staff, understood the officiating mechanics. And... Uh, when they lined up for the field goal, they knew that the official on their sideline would go under the goalpost. So there was uh. no official on their sideline like there was in the first play that I described. And they essentially did the same thing. They uh, they broke the. They didn't do the substitution, but the uh, player a player left the huddle and made like he was. Uh, uh, leaving the field, but he actually stood on the field 
and took a position with his uh, shoulders parallel to the sideline. And then uh, his teammates, of course, were in on it. And they stood uh, next to him, shoulder to shoulder. Of course, they were about a foot behind them, behind the player, because they were off the field. But right. when you look at the, the, the video, and they were kind enough to do it uh, opposite the camera, it looks like uh, a lineup of uh, four players standing next to each other on the sideline. But in fact, uh, one of the two middle uh, persons was a player on the field. Sure. And then they snapped the ball, and in this case... Um, they completed the pass for a touchdown, and once again, the uh, officials were oblivious to the fact that an illegal play had been run. And the state association was uh, very upset over this. It happened in the playoff game, and uh, they they had a conference call with the coach uh, uh, explaining the uh, illegality of the play from him. Uh, uh, to the uh, to him, and uh, by then it had been uh, several days uh, after uh, the game had been played, and uh, the coach's response was uh, uh, that he understood that what he had done was wrong, and he explained that uh, once he had been contacted, he uh, explained the play to his wife. And her reaction was, "That sounds like cheating." So <laughs> that was the that was the end of that story. So that's an example of illegal trick plays uh, run by using the uh, substitution process uh, to deceive. So, it's, so uh, George, if, can I interrupt you for just a second? Sure. Let let I want to I, I want to turn the scenario just a little different into what's probably legal, but I want your opinion on it. Um, same play as what you just described, except we're not talking a field goal anymore. Um, we're talking no substitutes. We're talking there's zero substitution on this play, but the wide receiver runs opposite sideline and does exactly what you said. Stands with his shoulders parallel to the sideline. He's got teammates there. As far as everything I can think of, that's probably legal because no longer is it a substitution. Or are we saying that it's a pretended substitution because he's close enough to make it look like he substituted? Well, if he is uh, in the huddle, if he's uh, between the hash marks, when the ball is ready for play, he can go line up anywhere and uh, it's legal. So, so that no, that same play is legal if there's respons- no the, the defense is responsible for right. knowing where the eleven players are, and if he goes out by the the sideline, uh, then uh, that that would be a a legal play. Right. Uh, another uh, situation where you have uh, an illegal play is when the eleventh man comes on just before the snap. And the rules require that when he does that, that he get inside the numbers. So right. as long as he gets inside the numbers, uh, it's legal. But if he doesn't get inside the numbers, it's illegal. And uh, the way we officiate that 
philosophically is if he comes on late and he doesn't get inside the numbers and the defense picks up on him and covers him, uh, that's usually a no call. Uh, If if they have fooled the defense, then it's a foul. But I've also I also have video of uh, plays where he the player comes on late and gets uh, inside the numbers, and the defense doesn't pick him up and lets him run downfield for a pass. Now that that is design deception, but it's legal deception because the rule says that he has to get inside the numbers sometime between the ready and and the snap. So if they follow the rule. Uh, uh, it's a legal play, and that's that. That can be used as an example for where uh, I said that uh, if they're going to execute a trick play, they got to be perfect. So if the guy comes on late, he better be totally inside the numbers. If he's got a foot onside the numbers, he didn't comply with the rule, and that's what I'm talking about. Sure, uh, insisting on perfect execution. It and would he, be. He... It would he be also, something that uh, normally uh, would could be called nitpicking, but when they're running a trick play, they got to be perfect. Sure, and uh, another thing is he you'd want him set for a good, full, pregnant second. It, yeah. it can't be real close. It'd need to be a good, full second. Again, because we want trick plays to be perfect. Absolutely. Okay, another uh, example of a trick play is uh, faking an injury, which is also considered uh, unethical in the coaching ranks. And what I'm talking about here is a a player going into motion and hobbling off like he's leaving the field, and then as soon as the ball is uh, snapped, he uh, loses the hobble and runs downfield. Sure. Another one that happened last year in the college ranks is the receiving team was aware that the kicker uh, almost always kicked to a certain side of the field. So they put a guy on the opposite side of the field, and it just so happened that uh, they, the receiving team was the home team and that the uh, colors, the color of the turf end zone was blue, and this team had a blue jersey. So this guy went out to the uh, opposite side of the field from where they expected the kick and laid down in the end zone so he couldn't be seen easily. The ball was kicked where they expected, it was caught, and the returner ran about five yards and then threw a backward pass to the guy on the other side of the field who had gotten up and was expecting the backward pass. Sure. The game, the play gained 40 yards. The referee recognized it and was commended for calling uh, unsportsmanlike conduct on the receiving team. So that's an example of, again, uh, lying on the ground to deceive the opponents. Sure. Uh, Verbal deception. Uh, This has uh, various forms. Um, Some of the plays uh, run uh, 
involve the uh, the quarterback walking towards his team's sideline and saying, uh, "Coach, I need the right ball. We have the wrong ball." And then they snap the ball while the uh, the quarterback is talking to the coach. Sure. So that is that is illegal uh, because he used verbal deception. Now, if the uh, if the quarterback were to go in motion and walk towards the coach and kind of shrug his shoulders without saying anything, then that would be a legal play. But as soon as they verbally uh, presented a false scenario that something was wrong, that makes it unsportsmanlike conduct. Right. Okay, those are the uh, somewhat unusual plays. So now let's talk about uh, two relatively common plays and the things that uh, can go right and things that can go wrong. And the first one is the hook and ladder play. And for anyone that uh, is not familiar with this play, uh, this play involves a completed forward pass and as the player is about to be tackled, he throws the ball to another player who is expecting the the backward pass. So one thing that has to happen here is they have to have a perfectly legal backward pass. It can't be uh, questionable whether it was forward or backwards. Uh, the other thing that they can do well, they can actually run it two ways. Number one, the receiver can catch the ball, and he can actually throw it backwards. Or secondly, he can simply bat the ball immediately to a receiver running at full speed. Right. And that bat is legal because the rules allow the batting of a forward pass in any direction, by any player who is eligible to touch the pass. Sure. So the problem comes up with if that ball hits the ground. So if, and this is what the officials have to be on the lookout for, if the ball hits the ground and it was caught in a backward pass thrown, then that is a loose ball and anyone can recover it. If he batted the ball uh, and it hits the ground, then it's just an incomplete pass and the play uh, should be killed. Sure. Okay? So it all comes down to the judgment over whether the ball was caught. And again, the things we should be looking for is complete control of the ball, and a foot on the ground. Uh, I have one video where he bats bats the ball backwards and it hits the ground, but he he never got a foot down. He was airborne uh, when he uh, when he batted the ball, so there was no catch there, and uh, the officials correctly called an incomplete pass in that situation. Sure. Uh, the last play that I'd like to cover is uh, something that we should all be familiar with, and that is a shovel pass. And again, uh, it can be executed 
one of two ways. The uh, quarterback, who almost certainly will be in a shotgun, uh, will catch the ball and flip it underhanded uh, to a receiver who is running uh, parallel to the line of scrimmage. And that is simply is just an underhanded forward pass. Remember, a pass is forward if the ball goes forward, and it doesn't matter whether it's flipped uh, overhand, underhand, or sideways, or whatever. So right. that would be a, a legal shovel pass. And uh, if the ball hits the ground, it is simply an incomplete pass. On other occasions, in order to make the play go quicker, instead of the quarterback catching the pass and throwing it, he simply bats it forward without catching it. And if they do it that way, then that is an illegal bat because the rules prohibit a backward pass from being batted forward by the the passing team. Right. So that would be a foul for an illegal bat. And if the ball hits the ground, it is not an incomplete pass uh, because it still has the status of a backward pass. So that is a loose ball that anybody can recover. Right. So and I want to I, I, I I I I clarify that just really quick, make sure everybody understands that the snap itself in a shotgun formation is considered a backwards pass. Correct. Um, and, and that's the rule says a snap is the legal act of passing or handling the ball backwards from its position on the ground. So that's where we get the, the fact that this batting of the, of the uh, shotgun snap is illegal because we've got a backwards pass happening. So I just wanted to add that clarification in there. So please go ahead. Sure. Well, that's a good way to uh, uh, to end this because uh, that is all I have today on uh, trick plays. Well, great. Uh, th those are great, and, and and I appreciate you sharing that with everyone. Um, so I think I think that's pretty much all we've got for today. So I, I do want to thank you for your time today, George. Okay. So what you can uh, offer your your viewers, if you'd like, I can send you the uh, the plays uh, that go with the uh, uh, with the PowerPoint, and uh, we can uh, provide them a link where they can download the plays or uh, look at them online if they'd like. That'd be great. Yeah, I'll, I'll definitely put them on the uh, in the show notes on the website, and that's something that everybody okay. can look at. So I will I will send you a uh, a link. Uh, to all the plays that you can distribute. That's great. Uh, thank, thank you, George. I, I do greatly appreciate your time today. You're welcome. It was my pleasure. All right. You have a great day. Okay. Take care. Bye. Thanks for listening to Friday Night Stripes. Show notes and links to all of the episodes can be found on our website at FridayNightStripes.com. Reviews on Google Podcasts or Apple iTunes are always appreciated as they will help us reach more officials. We are always looking to talk to officials everywhere, so if you want to be a guest, please email hello at FridayNightStripes.com. If you have comments, ideas, or want to correct a mistake we made, you can email us at hello at FridayNightStripes.com. 
You can also continue the conversation by joining the Facebook group, Friday Night Stripes, or following us on Twitter at Friday Night Stripes. Show music is Fight 'Em Down by Flash Fluority, licensed by PremiumBeat.com. We'll see you on the next episode.